Hi, I'm Carol Sanford. I am the host for you in the Responsible Entrepreneur podcast, where we help businesses understand how they can make a living with what they're doing, but also change the course of history. We bring you different entrepreneurs out in the world and help you understand not only how they inspire us, but how it is that they are doing what they are. Today's subject is going to be what I call the developmental approach to business. That's a little different. It's, it's like you could say developmental organization, but it's different than a learning organization. I think you'll see why in a minute. A developmental approach to business is one that contrasts between working on existence, that is, everything is already in place and trying to improve it, which is not bad. I'm not saying don't do that. But instead, it starts with something called potential, which is not pie in the sky. So it's not the difference between what's on the ground and what's in the sky. It's the difference between what we've already got and what the potential is that could be realized to bring even more into existence. It's based on the idea that every human being, every business, every customer, every raw material has a unique essence. It has something that makes it extraordinary and have work to do in the system as a whole. But mostly what we start with when we're thinking of something is we start with, well, what have we got? In fact, you'll hear most people describe to you, start with describing what you've got, then describe where you want to get to, and then figure out the gap between them. This is not that. It does not start with what already exists, nor does it start with what you want. It starts with asking, what is the uniqueness and the essence of a business, a watershed, life shed, a child, and ask how it is we help realize that. Now, I just gave a talk in Holland, and it was very interesting because one of the guys there walked up afterwards, and he says, well, let's everybody turn and talk to each other and describe what their essence is. And I said, well, that's a great idea, Hans, who you're going to hear from in a moment, but mostly people can't see that. Now, why can't people see essence? So there's a couple of ideas I want to introduce to you here about why we can't see essence. And to remind you that this can be true with a child or a business. So we look at children, and you just think about what we do. We tend to look at them and see whether they match our ideal of how we think children behave. Even when we're very progressive parents, progressive human beings, we wonder whether or not they're behaving correctly. Sometimes we look around for where are their parents? We do the same thing with a business. We go look and say, is it doing what it's supposed to do? Does it fit what business should look like? But the idea of instead looking for essence gets blocked by this problem, this idea of looking for the ideals, the standards, the generics. And it's compounded by all the programs that are put in by corporate social responsibility groups and by human resource groups, which continually go find that which is common, they call it best practices often, and they test everything against it. It's very hard to see essence, that is, what's unique, what's differentiated, what's seeking to be what it is, and have all of those layers of standards and generic ideas. So what does it take to learn to see potential, to see essence? First, it takes a non, I guess you'd call it judgmental attitude. It takes being able to get oneself in a place that you are not comparing and evaluating. That may be the hardest thing any of us have to do. We're so used to, in our own minds, holding what someone should look like, either just because it's our own image or because it's compared to, and the minute we've done that, we no longer have a chance of seeing essence. 
The second thing that we do is we go very strongly to what's already in existence and try and figure out how to move on that. We are so driven that we can't tell that what we're looking at and have a fixed mind around, mm, that's what things are, and I could tinker with that. I could make it a little better. But the other thing we don't have is a framework for how to see. What we tend to do is just see with the way we're used to seeing. Today, I'm going to have you listen to an amazing man who will talk to you about what it means to have a different framework, a different view, a different ability to actually see something that can't be seen by most others, and why that can be developed, and it can be made part of every human being who works for you and for yourself. I would say that a lot of what his essence about is might be called evoke happy. And by happy, he means being who you are, standing with who you are, allowing that creativity to flow, and making that happen with everyone in your organization. So I'm going to ask you to welcome with me Hans. And Hans, please introduce yourself. Well, my name is uh, Hans Steenberger. I'm from Holland, and I'm an uh, editor-in-chief, a trend watcher in food, and an entrepreneur. Uh, we have a company which is called uh, Food Inspiration. And it's about an online magazine, an event, and books, and tours, and a networking organization with food service professionals. Our mission is to inspire the world of food service professionals. We want to help them with uh, innovation, and uh, through online magazines and through these events, we try to touch them. Uh, not only, you know, in a rational way, but also in an emotional way, because innovation is not only done with the head, but also with the heart. That's what we're trying to do, Carol. That's wonderful. And they are extraordinarily beautiful. Why don't we, for the first time, at least mention how they can find you, and then we'll do it again at the end. You have a, a, a URL or a link they can find you, right? Yeah, it's www.foodinspiration.com. So we publish in uh, Dutch, uh, in, in French and Flemish, but also in English. So we got an international edition and on foodinspiration.com you can find all the beautiful things we make and we want to share with the world. Now they are beautiful, I can attest to that. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about how this idea came about. You know, it's a really amazingly beautiful intersection where you work in innovation and food. Uh, and I'm sure it has rewards and challenges, but you've even made a business out of it. Could you tell me a little bit about where the idea came from and how it got converted into a business instead of an art gallery? In 2008, uh, I, I, I met uh, Eric. He was an entrepreneur in uh, food, and he showed me uh, a, a great new technique in uh, online publishing. And he was wondering if I could join him. And I had to think about it because I had a great job. I was an editor-in-chief of uh, with uh, Reed Elsevier, an international publishing company, you know. But I was in for something new. I was in for a new adventure. So uh, then I met Arjan de Boer, who is actually uh, my business partner right now. And we sat down and we thought of something new. And that's... Uh, was at that moment with the name of Food Inspiration. We started with online publishing in Holland in 2009. That was way before the introduction of the uh, iPad. So we had uh, those magazines and, you know, within the first edition, it was immediately clear that we had something in our hands. We struck something. 
the, 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 the reaction of the readers was incredible, and especially the professionals in food service really loved this new way of communication. And then we organized the event in that same year, in 2009, where 500 people showed up. And that, in fact, that year was the birth of our uh, company. And from then on, it, uh, it went crescendo. So we're still growing and we're still doing uh, and making beautiful things. I was telling many people that um, I had been with you in Holland and had met you uh, in, here in the States. <coughs> And uh, people were very impressed. I took them to the website. But one of the things they kept saying is most artists never are able to convert anything into a business. And you have a lot of art in this, which is a very expensive proposition in some way. Can you give people just a hint about how you think about the business side of this and what the business model might look like for being able to uh, stay in business and keep producing what you do? Uh, yeah, I, ca I can explain how we do it. Um, uh, first of all, we have around about 35, uh, you know, companies who are uh, sponsors of our magazine and our event. And that's one. Uh, and, and we do that, we have a contract with those partners for three years. So not for one year, but for three years. Ian and I went to uh, those companies and those people, uh, those food service uh, companies like, uh, you know, Nestle or Unilever or smaller companies, which are much more into uh, crafting. And, and we said, well, we have a dream and we want to inspire food professionals in a new way. Will you build with us that dream? You know, and it helped, of course, that I had my network and I had my reputation. And we had 10 or 12 companies who were saying, well, let's try it, let's do it. Uh, we're in also for something new. And with those 10 or 12 companies in the first year, it, the second year it became 20 and the third year it became 30 companies. And when you ha have success like we had, a, a lot of people are interested in what you're doing, but also a lot of companies and even during you know, the terrible crisis we had, we saw a lot of interest in the new propositions we developed for the market, the market, you know, the online magazine, but also the way we organize events and all the hospitality, the guest journeys in it. And um, all right. So the biggest fundament of our business model is trust. So trust and a three-year contract with companies because we didn't consider ourselves as perfect salesmen. You know, we're not. We're creators. We're creators like, you know, artists can be. But we have a business approach, a business angle. We are creators in a business. So we try to uh, avoid that you have to talk every year about a new contract. So we said to those companies, well, please help us. If you think, if you have faith in our dream, we want to work with you for three years. That gave a lot of rest, it gave a lot of peace in the, the organization, and then we could work hard to, to realize, you know, those dreams we had. I think that's an important one, Carol. Does that help you? Yes, that's excellent. And it leads me to a follow-up question because 
uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant idea for a business model because it actually gives you time to form a partnership rather than yeah. they're transacting with you. So that leads me to wonder, what would you say are the critical success factors once you have that contract for three years for building and ensuring that partnership works? Uh, I would say deliver, of course. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the things you make, uh, in our case, online magazine, events and books and uh, that kind of stuff, make it happen and make it very special. Uh, make it different from all the other things you've seen. Uh, that's one. So uh, your own, our own craftsmanship and all our knowledge and our hearts were in those products. So they could feel it was something different. And um, uh, be close with your business partners, you know, have a talk with them, uh, call them on a regular basis, uh, uh, share your dreams and share your progress in everything uh, you have. That's an important one. Let me see. Work with talent also. So we had some incredibly talented young people who, who, had, who had crafts and skills we didn't uh, have because they were much younger, they were much more into, you know, the online business and internet than, uh, than, than, than I am because I was born in 1959, way before the introduction of the internet. So the talent, you have to look uh, that, that to different people uh, than yourself. And especially young people, those millennial people who are really wonderful with a lot of energy. And um, I think that are one, two or three things which are important for our, you know, for our success. Um, I now have a question for you personally. I, I think, I mean, as you know, I, the minute I met you, uh, I knew that you were an incredibly creative and interesting person. I mean, not just the artist side of you, but kind of a worldview you have. And then as we rode along the canal and you were able to give me a philosophical understanding of how Holland came into existence, its position in the world and the philosophical stance you took, I thought, my goodness, I'm really curious more about how this man's life was framed. And so I'm wondering if you would do just a little of your background that helps us see the writer, the philosopher, even the historian, but then how does that influence and contribute to your business? Okay, well, thank you very much for the compliment. Um, I'm feeling a little bit shy right now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you know. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I was born in uh, a little town in, uh, in Holland, a village, actually. I uh, had a great childhood. Uh, my father was a, a carpenter. And my mother, uh, well, she, because of the war, she, she wasn't able, the Second World War, she wasn't able to, to have uh, any serious uh, education. But she was the most, she is, she's still alive, the most intelligent and wonderful, warm woman I've ever met. So she teaches me a lot of things, you know, not intellectually, but a lot of things about life and wisdom of the heart. If, uh, uh, you know, if, if, yeah, to put it in that way. So I did my, after, after my high school, I, I went to university in Amsterdam and I studied there uh, uh, literature and language, Dutch literature and language and philosophy. And uh, I had my master's in uh, literature and language. And after that, I, uh, I, I started working in, um, in, in journalism. So I worked for, you know, the national television news 
as an uh, editor and uh, the world radio uh, Netherlands which is a, is, a, is a world you know like the BBC world uh, we, we've got a world radio in Holland and then I started working um, for the, the, the industry I'm still working for and that's you know the hospitality and food industry as a as a editor in chief of uh, of, of some magazines uh, of the, of Reed Elsevier, but you know that's a, a different background uh, to business. So I think I, I I always as a child actually I always, but I realized that later when I, when I was 16, 17, or 18, I realized I have a kind of different look at reality, a different feeling of reality than most people and as a child I thought everybody you know was seeing the same things uh, had the same perception of reality as I have but that was not the case actually so uh, perhaps like Johan Cruyff which is a famous uh, Dutch soccer player you know when he looks at the ball he sees a totally different thing than anybody else with all the possibilities and all all that's all the secrets of, 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 the, of, the, of the ball. And perhaps I've got something, you know, with uh, the hospitality and food industry that's almost in an anthropological uh, way, I see the interaction of the people, the, the theater of it, the trends and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's perhaps my quality as, as a, perhaps a, a storyteller, you know, someone who discovers storyline and all the connections and a kind of holistic approach to everything that, that makes me, uh, perhaps as a person or, or as an editor, a, a, a bit special. I am very clear that you see the world different than most people do, and particularly the food world, because when I'm around you, food becomes more beautiful and the, the taste of it becomes more apparent. And so there is something that I know gets embedded into your business. I don't know whether you can make that translation for us, this worldview of seeing food differently and seeing that it's like it's alive. How does that become a part of food inspiration and shoot by food? Well, I think it's, it's, it's you know, we didn't write a strategic plan for, for three or five years. We just started and, and we did it. and. And, and, and there was a lot of, you know, intuition and a lot of feeling, emotion and passion in it. And, and things developed uh, with, you know, working with all those talents here, those young people and with Aryan, it, it more or less developed in the way it has developed, you know, not so overconscious, but, but, you know, a logical way almost. Perhaps the quality I can bring in is, is, is a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of, well, perhaps a, an eye for beauty, an eye for the aesthetics of it. At, you know, at our university, okay. I had a classical, you know, um, uh, education more or less in a modern way because it was Amsterdam. But at the university, you, you always try to look for what is morally, or to study actually, what is morally right you know what is true and, and and what is beauty and perhaps some of these elements i bring in, in in the whole project of food inspiration that's that's one thing and the other thing of course is that 
our food and hospitality industry is in itself so beautiful. I mean, look at the function of a restaurant, you know, in society. It's so much more than, than, than to feed hungry people. I mean, a good meal is, is so special. It's, 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 it's not only a physical experience, but it's an emotional and even a spiritual one. That is the place where you can reconnect again with your family, with your friends, but also through the food, with yourself and nature again. And that's something well, most of modern people living in city who lost that connection. And then you can see that a restaurant uh, where a meal is, is, is nourished, that, that, that's a place where, you, where you, you, know, you nourish empathy and trust actually. Because when you have a great meal, and, and, you, and you enjoy the meal and you have a great conversation, you know, perhaps the most important currency of a society and that's trust and, and, and empathy is, is, is being fed, actually, rather more than, than your stomach. Uh, at the conference in February, you uh, spoke quite eloquently and, as your mother would say, from your heart, about how the planet is not being considered completely as a part of that beauty and that wholeness, and even our own bodies. It's, uh, there's a disconnection of sorts. And I know you have quite strong, heartfelt opinions about that, about our health and about the health of the planet. Could you speak to what you would say your strongest opinions or hopes and dreams are for that world? Yeah. I can. That's something I learned, by the way, uh, the, the last couple of years, you know, the, those new insights, because my job enables me to meet really interesting people uh, and to learn a lot. Um, you, you, start, you start to realize that everything is connected in our world and that there's a direct relationship when it comes to food between what's on the plate and, uh, well, the planet, actually. And... Well, I love America. I love your country. I really, I really adore your country. But when it comes to food, I think you took the wrong direction, actually. I mean, there are a lot of sick people or food-related diseases uh, because of the bad diet, because of the wrong diet, I must say, with too much meat and too much sugar and too much salt and perhaps too much fat. And that's really something we should, you know, consider. We, we really have to find a solution because in your country, it's, it's now 150 to 200 billions a year. And for the first time, there's a generation born which will die earlier than the generation before because of bad diets. And that's something we cannot accept in society. So that's got to change. So there's a direct relationship between food and health, but there's also when you look at it a holistic way, that what's on the plate has an effect on biodiversity, on the state of the planet. And that's so interesting to discover that relationship and that makes a food choice also so much more, you know, deeper than, uh, you know, hungry and filling the stomach. And perhaps a difficult message it is and a lot of people won't, you know, won't answer that, that call. But I think a, a growing number of people do realize that everything is connected and that a food choice is a really important one to, uh, to reconsider. Uh, and the planet? And the planet? We've got to save the planet. 
<laughs> you got to save the planet, Carol. I, I just watched uh, this night. I couldn't sleep in the... Uh, and a documentary about the, the state of the oceans, you know, the, and, and, and how they try to uh, to make hope spots to, to protect uh, uh, large pieces of the ocean, just as they do with natural parks in, in on land. We really got to take care of our planet. And by making different food choices, we can save actually the planet. Now, what kind of food choice is that? You know, in, in, in Holland, uh, we've got a we we got a great chef, and his name is uh, Albert Coy, and he introduced to us the Dutch cuisine. And the Dutch cuisine is saying, well, normally when you go to a restaurant, uh, the plate consists of 80% uh, animal protein, you know, fish or meat, and 20% veggies. Well, we gotta turn that around. We gotta prepare dishes which are made of 80% of vegetables, plants actually, and 20% animal proteins. And if we do that, the planet is big enough to feed us all, even 9 million people, 9 billion people. So that's the thing we gotta do. So we gotta try to, uh, to eat differently. We gotta try to make agriculture, you know, less chemicalized and to, to give, again, small farmers uh, uh, a hope and a, 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 a new way to the market because those big, you know, agricultural companies aren't always the solution, the right solution to uh, the health of a planet and the health of ourselves. And uh, I know a lot of people, and you've been to the conference too also in Stockholm, uh, to the EAT conference, are into uh, food and sustainability and health. And I think it's uh, really necessary that we yeah that we do a great effort to to change that i have a different subject than your current business one of the things you mentioned at the point to the end of my trip there was your time being a manager inside of a company and discovering that no matter where you were in an organization you could be a happy manager <laughs> and you actually wrote a small book which unless you uh can read Dutch, won't do you much good, right? But you did translate, or had your son translate for me, just a bit of the first chapter, and it's it's quite inspiring. I'm wondering if you could give us at least an overview of what you mean and how you got to the idea of a happy manager and the nature of the principles that the happy manager works with. Yeah. Yeah, I had a rough year in 2002. I had to take uh, two months uh, off because, uh, you know, I was really done. I was tired and had to uh, reorganize myself a little bit. And then my father died at the same moment. And my stepfather, uh, my father-in-law, how do you call that stepfather? Yeah, uh, died too. So two very precious people, you know, were gone. So that's a moment when you reevaluate yourself and all the, your priorities. Um, I had a good friend. Uh, Theo, who asked me, can you do a, a talk about, you know, your relationship with yourself? Because that's the theme of the day and you've gone so you can talk really in, in an inspirational way and perhaps you can share something of, you know, some insights you, you, you gained during your rough times. And I said yes. And I was really frightened. I was afraid you know, to share my vulnerability, to show my vulnerability with all those managers who think, uh, you know, are always serious and, 
and left brainers and you know think in Excel sheets and bottom line and profit and loans and well I, I'm a, I'm a different guy. Right. But I did. So I did that presentation, and it's a story about me uh, meeting up with the happiest manager on earth. And I asked the happiest manager, hey, tell me, hey, what, what I'm doing wrong, what is it? And can you help me out here a little bit? Because I don't know anymore what to do. So he gave me some tips. Uh, about what to do. And you know, that guy, the happiest manager, it was a, you know, a sunny morning and you were sitting in the park and, and he was, he was really a, an ordinary guy. He, he, he was not a consultant with, with, with a, with, a, with an expensive suit on, you know, he just had some sneakers on and a t-shirt and he was telling me uh, what to do and he knew everything about me already. So he, he was looking right through me actually. And, that was a, that was that. That's the story I shared with those professionals, and I played a guitar and had some blues. You know, it was it was quite an uh, quite a story. And I and, and and I told them what I learned on the way. You know, I learned some practical things, but also you know more philosophical philosophical things like, well, it's not the destination that counts; it's the journey. Well, you know, if you've got some possessions, don't let the possessions take control of you but you will, will stay in control of those possessions, that kind of stuff. And um, afterwards, you know, I was looking at the orders where 100 people were in, all men, by the way, most of them, and I saw 20 of those, you know, managers in suits were crying. They were crying, Carol. Mm. And I thought, wow, what the hell is, you know, what, and I was quite nervous. In, uh, what the hell is happening over here? And and then I had so many talks afterwards with all those people, and they were really touched. So I got a lot of requests to do that again, but I didn't want to do it the second time or a third time or fourth time. It was something I wanted to. It was a precious moment in my life, and I think that's it. I don't want to commercialize that one. Mm -hmm. But I wrote that little book, which I shared with. You know the people I love, and well, that's that's the story about the happiest manager, just an ordinary guy, you know, who's trying to do the good thing, and and who's trying to balance, you know, with his own ambition and what's required in 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 a good, deep way. And how does that affect your you now at Food Inspiration and Shoot My Food? Yeah. I think I'm able to stay true to myself now. So all my decisions are, you know, I can look in the mirror and I, and I can tell, well, this is good. This, this, this feels good. This is my intuition, which is telling me, well, this is the right path. This is the right way. So perhaps a little bit of personal wisdom about yourself also, so not only about your markets, you know, about what's happening outside, but also inside, inside yourself. I think that's helping uh, the young people over here uh, in our conversations, in our choices, uh, that there's more to it than profit and loss, that, that if we want to use our talents, you know, you have to, you have to unleash your passion. Uh, 
and and you have to you know speak also with your soul not only with your brains and 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 that's defining perhaps the the culture we're working here with the food inspiration all the people are relaxed they're working they're working like crazy but you know in such a uh, inspiring way for me to see that that's uh, perhaps that's uh, one contribution of uh, my adventure with uh, the happiest manager i think uh anyone who has now listened to this will know why i feel like that there is a Hans inspiration afloat. And if you have an opportunity to talk with you and spend time with you, you walk away feeling inspired. And I can see that that pervades the entire business. And I thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Before we close, I want to make sure people can find and touch your business and your company. So let's remind them of all of the ways that they can come find their own inspiration through the work that you're doing and your colleagues. Could you tell us how to reach you again? Well, first we got the website, of course, that's foodinspiration.com. Uh, there's a lot of inspiration magazines for food service professionals, but also uh, anyone who's interested in uh, food, of course. And if you want to mail me, that's also possible. Uh, you mail to just a simple one, Hans, that's my first name, Hans, H-A-N-S, at Hans, at, and then, listen, shootmyfood.com, S-H-O-O-T-M-Y-F-O-O-D.com, shootmyfood.com, and I'm will, more than willing, more than happy to uh, answer any question regarding to the work we're doing. So you probably all can see now why I often tell people, including Hans, that he's one of my favorite people on the planet. He's so alive, he is so filled with spirit, and he literally evokes happiness in everyone who's around him. And amazingly, he's a phenomenal businessman, taking that art and that joy into the world of business. I want to repoint out, now that you've heard him, the difference between essence and personality, or essence and standards. Essence is distinctive, it is unique, it, does, it is incomparable, you can't compare it to something. Learning to have this as a way of doing business is what it means to have a developmental approach to business, and in fact, I'd say a developmental approach to life. This is the work that the responsible business, the responsible entrepreneur, and all of the work we do with the responsible human is about. You can find out and hear much more of Han's interview uh, if you go to our website, um, carolsanford.com, and also to seed-communities.com, where you can find out more about the offerings that we have for you engaging with folks like this. And you can even check us out on Vimeo and put in Hans Steinberger's name, and I believe he will pop up and you can learn more. And then I hope you'll join us again here next time on The Responsible Entrepreneur. Thank you. Thank you.